following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. At this point, I'm going to invite Mark Ford, and I'm just going to pray for him real quick before he gives us the sermon today. Dear Lord, thank you so much for Mark being here. Thank you for him um, getting to come here and share from your word. We are blessed to be able to have him with us. We ask that you would bless his words, Lord, that uh, what he is sharing comes from you um, and is just something that helps us as we step into a new year, Lord. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A small invitation can make a big impact. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, I believe that a small invitation can even be the key that brings somebody from being disconnected to being a disciple of Jesus. That sort of radical transformation that takes somebody from being disconnected uh, from the church, disconnected from the purpose that Jesus has for us all, disconnected even from Jesus himself to becoming a sold-out disciple of Jesus. A small invitation can make a big impact. Let me give you an example. In the early 1970s, the relations between the United States and China had been on ice for about two decades. And it's easy enough to understand why that would have happened. The rise of the Communist Party in China, the challenges that were going on in Vietnam at the time, there was all sorts of things that would have led to some feelings of unease between the United States and China. And yet, when Richard Nixon took office he started looking for a way to diplomatically resolve the Vietnam conflict, and he started to wonder if perhaps an ally might be found in China. The difficulty, of course, was figuring out how to reopen those conversations. It was going to be difficult because they hadn't really been speaking for two decades. Yet, in April of 1971, there just so happened to be an international table tennis tournament that was held in Japan. By the way, say that five times fast. International table tennis tournament. And at this international table tennis tournament, there just so happened to be the American team and the Chinese team. And there just so happened to be a bus carrying the Chinese team onto which one of the American players stepped in order to be transported to where they needed to go. This interaction between the American and the, the players from the Chinese team sparked a conversation that led to an invitation. An invitation for the entire American team to actually go and visit China, the first official visitors in years. And when they arrived, they were received with honors. Sensing the opportunity for diplomacy, President Richard Nixon started reaching out, and in February of 1972, less than a year after that table tennis tournament, Diplomatic relations between the People's Republic of China and the United States were reopened. He became the first official visitor, the first president to visit the People's Republic of China in 1972. A small invitation made a big impact. And to wrap our minds around just how big of an impact on modern day life this interaction had, I would love for you to just pull out your cell phone for me and hold it up in the air. Just, just real quick, hold it up so everybody can see. There you go. Fantastic. Take a quick look around. Let me ask you a quick question. Where was your cell phone assembled? China. China. And if it wasn't assembled in China, very likely the parts came from China, or perhaps the lithium-ion batteries that power not only your cell phone, but also your smartwatch, your tablet, and your laptop. It's hard to underestimate the impact that the reopening of diplomatic relations between the United States and China in the 1970s has had on us today. But it all started 
with a small invitation. I want to thank you for your invitation. I was trying to think back to the last time I actually had the opportunity to preach here at Narrative, and it was actually, I believe, about summer of 2019. It was a lot of fun back there. We were doing uh, time at the movies, and we talked about the Karate Kid. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. If you were here, there, come get me afterwards. I want to hear if you remember what we talked about that day. If you're not here, I'm super excited to get to meet you because we are actually a, a church of, that really based a lot of what we do on what you guys do here at Narrative. Uh, my name is Mark, and my wife Laura was up here singing music. We have three wonderful kiddos, but it all kind of really started for us. We got called from where we were serving in San Antonio to go and help start a church in North Houston. I got a call actually from Ted's dad, who said, hey, we're starting something new. Would you be interested in having a conversation about this? And the rest, the rest is history. I actually have a picture of the uh, family when we started off. This is uh, little Flint. He's the six-year-old who's back over there. But this is Flint when he was just uh, about 18 months old or so. In the greeting card aisle of our local grocery store as we were recording an update of what was happening, we had just said, all right, this is what we're planning on, on doing. We're going to be coming here. We'd be excited to get to know you guys. I share this because this video was actually one of the things that uh, convinced a guy named John Rice, who was at one of our mother churches, one of our sending churches, Resurrection, to see about connecting with us further. In fact, uh, John is there helping Ted this morning, helping to lead things there, and he's a bonus grandparent to our kids as well. But it all started with an invitation like this. This is how it started. Listen, let me show you how it's going. This is all the family there. You'll see them running around, but we all just look so good here. I mean, you know, this, this is just fun. So there's Flint at sixth, Wade at three, and little Casey who joined our family this year. Thank you for the opportunity to get to be here with you guys. We kind of jokingly say that we're basically narrative to the East. So we're, we're honored to get to be here to celebrate with you guys and to really embrace the, the thing that we're here and that we're all really about helping disconnected people become connected to Jesus. We might say it a little bit differently. We might use slightly different language, but the basic root of why we exist is the same. We want to see people who don't know Jesus be in heaven someday because of the things that Jesus did through us while we were here. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but the place I want to go this morning is actually from John chapter 1. It's a beautiful passage. There we get to see uh, the, the, the invitation that Philip extends to Nathaniel. Now, Jennifer did a great job of, re of reading the story for us. I just want to give just a little bit of recap. Jesus is, uh, has just been baptized and in John, it kind of starts with uh, the baptism of Jesus that kind of gets going after this beautiful prologue that he narrates for us, talking about all the reasons why Jesus came, why he's there. And then we get to the baptism of Jesus, and at some point after that, Jesus is walking around in Judea, and John the Baptist sort of says to some of his disciples standing nearby, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Two of those disciples start following Jesus. One of them is Andrew, who goes and gets his brother, uh, Simon, Simon Peter, and they start following Jesus. The other guy is unnamed. It's probably the author, probably John himself. So if you're keeping track, that's three disciples so far. Jesus then goes to Bethsaida, a little bit further north, and then when he gets there, he sees Philip, and he says, come follow me. Philip comes, but Philip decides he wants to go see his friend, Nathaniel. And when Philip goes to Nathaniel, unlike the first four disciples, when Philip uh, goes to Nathaniel and, and says to him, come, you have to come and see the Messiah that we found, the one whom the prophets and Moses spoke of. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything really good come this, from this backwater town to the north where all the rednecks hang out? That just doesn't make sense to me. 
I love Philip's answer. He says, come and see. Come and see. Bring all of your doubts. Bring all of your questions. Let's bring him to Jesus. and Let's have a conversation with him. Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who speaks first. He says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, here is a guy who needs to see it to believe it. And Nathanael says, Rabbi, how do you know me? Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, what's fascinating about this little detail of the story is that we have no idea what Jesus is talking about. We don't know what the fig tree meant, and a lot of people have speculated. Maybe the fig tree had something to do with with studying God's Word, and I think that's kind of a a cool spiritual interpretation. Maybe there was a moment in Nathaniel's life where he is studying God's Word, he's really pondering the Messiah coming, and maybe that's what Jesus is referencing. That's very possible. But knowing what I know about the people that Jesus called, I think it probably makes more sense that there was some sort of significant event in Nathaniel's life that happened under a fig tree, like an actual fig tree. Probably, if we're really honest, a moment of extreme brokenness. A moment where maybe he had reached the end of his rope when he was crying out to God and saying, God, I I can't do it on my own. I need for you to do this for me because I can't. Whatever it was, whatever event happened in Nathaniel's life, when Jesus mentions the fig tree, it's powerful. Because the next word that comes out of Nathanael's mouth is not a question, but rather a confession. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says, Nathanael, you you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree. I tell you, you're going to see greater things than this. When John repeats words, we need to pay attention to that. Notice the story starts off with Philip telling Nathanael, come and see. Jesus says to Nathanael, I saw you under the fig tree, and you will see greater things than this. We need to be paying attention to these thematic words that John is using. Let's use our imaginations a little bit. Let's think about what were the things that Nathanael was going to see. He was going to see Jesus perform incredible miracles, feed thousands of people, heal the sick. He was going to be there when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Nathaniel would be there when they heard about all that had happened to Jesus, how Jesus had been arrested and and crucified and laid in a tomb. And Nathaniel would have been there in the upper room that Easter Sunday evening when, although the doors were locked and shut, Jesus appeared. Nathaniel was going to see incredible things but it all started with the invitation from his buddy, Philip. We believe that there are disconnected people who are just one small step away from becoming disciples of Jesus. And the reason why we believe that is actually uh, comes from scripture. It's the prayer that we prayed to actually start off service this morning from Luke 10, verse 2, where Jesus says to the disciples, uh, uh, well, he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If you catch the metaphor, what it's talking about is that there are people who are disconnected from Jesus, who are just one small invitation away from becoming connected to him. They're just one small step away from somebody who's a harvest worker being sent out to invite them to know Jesus a little bit better. And what I love about this prayer in Luke 10, verse two, is is really what happens next. 
Jesus says to his disciples, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out harvest workers. And then in the verses that immediately follow, Jesus turns to the rest of the disciples and he says, okay, now I'm going to send you out to the places where I'm going to be going. And you're going to go there, you're going to preach, you're going to heal the sick, you're going to cast out demons and then let people know that I'm going to be there soon. So in effect, they become the answer to the prayer that they just prayed. So when we here at Narrative Church take time to pray the 1002 prayer every Sunday, or if you have your alarm set to go off each day to pray this prayer, don't be surprised when Jesus comes along and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, harvest worker, I've got something I'd really like your help with. There are people in your sphere of influence who are one small step away from a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's what the Bible says. The Bible literally says this for us, that there are people who are just one small step away. What would it look like for us to be the ones who God uses to extend an invitation? Doesn't have to be fancy. But how might God work through that? It's an incredible thing to think about. Something that feels kind of weighty, kind of heavy. And something that if we're really, really honest with each other, sounds completely and utterly terrifying, right? Because who am I that God would choose to work through somebody like me to invite somebody to know him better? I mean, doesn't God know about all the mistakes I've made, all the brokenness that I bring to the table? There, There surely is somebody else better and more qualified out there, probably the pastor. I mean, we pay him. Shouldn't he be the one who goes and does this? I mean, come on now. No, spoiler alert, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's not actually the way that it works. There is some encouraging news for us. There is an undeniable truth about you. Something that doesn't change. No matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what accomplishments you might bring to the table. Something about you that is rock solid no matter what, and that is how God feels about you. He has called you his beloved child. And if you've been baptized, he has made you his beloved child through the waters of baptism in which you're actually given a new identity, one that is rock solid, one that doesn't change no matter what. And we believe that activity always flows from identity. What you do always flows from who you are as a beloved child of God. It impacts everything. And it leads us to be able to proclaim who God is. Peter said it this way. He says in, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen, in fact, would you read this with me? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a story that Peter is talking about. You have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. And if you've been baptized, that's the moment that you look back to and hold on to and say, wow, this is the day when I was brought out of darkness into the light of the Lord. The thing about that excellency, though, is that when it is proclaimed, it doesn't have to be proclaimed with fancy theological language. It doesn't have to be proclaimed with technological jargon. In fact, it's probably better if it's not. It's probably better if we explain what God has done for us in simple, ordinary language. Let me give you an example. 
I want to put a, uh, a description from a, a, a fancy restaurant up here on the screens for us. I want you to just guess at what it is that we're talking about here and if it sounds appealing to you. Pate of roasted indigenous legumes paired with a compote of seasonal berries served on hearty sprouted wheat bread. Mmm. Beans and fruit. Mmm. Delicious. Ugh. This sounds terrible until upon second glance, you might recognize that this is actually a peanut butter jelly sandwich. <laughs> Excellencies don't need fancy technological jargon. Let's try one more. Half pound Wagyu beef, applewood, smoked, thick cut bacon, garlic aioli, cheddar cheese, lettuce, tomato, onion on a toasted brioche bun served with fries. Everybody know what I'm talking about here? How many of you, be honest, checked your watch to see how much longer we're going to be here till lunch? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I see it. We know what this is. Yeah, throw the picture up there. Delicious. Oh, man, mouth-watering. The excellencies of God do not need fancy theological, technical jargon to be communicated well. The excellencies of God are best communicated from a heart that recognizes that it's been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. A heart that recognizes all that Jesus has done for you. And all that Jesus has done for your disconnected friend, disconnected neighbor, disconnected coworker, that person that you maybe have in your sphere of influence that you'll share stories with, that you'll have occasional surface level conversations with. Jesus loves that person just like he loves you. And Jesus wants that person to be in eternity with you and him someday too. Now, I love things like archaeology, things like apologetics. I'm a Bible nerd. I eat that sort of stuff up. I I enjoy knowing that faith is something that is reasonable. But to be honest, when I'm having a conversation with somebody who is disconnected from Jesus, things like apologetics and archaeology really aren't that helpful. They don't really care. You don't care how much somebody knows until you know how much they care. And so we're not going to be able to communicate all these cool things about archaeology or apologetics, no matter how well-trained you are in those disciplines, until somebody knows that you love Jesus, that you've been brought into a relationship with him, out of darkness, into his marvelous light, and they can see it, and they want to be a part of it. We believe that an invitation can make a powerful impact. So my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that you will allow God to work through you and your sphere of influence and the people around you to have interactions that lead to conversations that lead to invitations. Do you know why Pastor Ted and I and any other pastor you've ever listened to use stories? Why we use examples? Why I told you the story about in the 1970s, this kind of relationship that was on ice for two decades. Why why did we talk about that? The whole reason is when you go to your workplace on Monday, or not Monday because it's New Year's Eve, so on Tuesday, when you show up there at the the water cooler, when you were hanging out and you're hearing about, hey, what, what all went on for Christmas? You know, what'd you do last weekend? You have a story in your back pocket that you can pull out as a conversation starter where you have the opportunity to say, well, I kind of heard this interesting story. Maybe it wasn't it, but I heard this boring story about the China and the United States and how there was an invitation that made a really powerful impact. Would you like to hear more about this? We're giving you tools 
so that when you go to the place where God has placed you, you have everything you need to start up a conversation that might lead to an invitation. And that invitation is probably going to be more well-received than you imagine and more effective than you could have possibly thought. It's, it's going to be more well-received than you think. And, and let me just give you a little bit of anecdotal evidence. I, as an extrovert and as a church planner, do have a lot of conversations with people. And typically, in, in the process of being in our local neighborhood, trying to be like a, a pastor to the local neighborhood, I go into businesses, I have conversations that always end with me giving somebody my business card and asking if I can pray for them. Out of the, let's just use round numbers, it's, it's over this, but out of like a thousand invitations to pray, how many people would you think have ever turned to me and said, I'm offended by that? I don't want to do that. I can count on one hand the number of times somebody's been offended by me offering prayer. I can actually count it on two fingers. That astounds me that they would be that well-received by people. An invitation is going to be more well-received than you think. And it's also your invitation going to be more effective than you could possibly imagine. I'm saying your invitation very, very intentionally because for the last two Easter's at Lazarus, I have invited everybody I know to come out for our Easter extravaganza. We're going to have food, breakfast, tacos. We're going to have the eggs for the kids. It's going to be a blast. We'd love to have you there. First year, we tried paper invitations. Second year, we tried tons of digital invitations. I texted everybody, everybody in the community that I know. You know how many people showed up to Lazarus Church on an Easter Sunday because I invited them? Zero. <laughs> Absolutely nobody showed up because I invited them. Now, that's not to say and we didn't have a ton of visitors there. In fact, about a third of the people who showed up on Easter were people who we don't normally get to see. 100% of those people came because somebody at Lazarus invited them. Your invitation is going to be more effective than you think, and it's probably going to be more well-received than you can imagine. I'd love to share with you as I shared kind of some pictures of, of my family earlier, I'd like to share with you just a few pictures of the church family at Lazarus and share with you some of their stories of extending invitations. Can I do that this morning? Would you indulge me? If you take a look at this picture, the one that's in color, the guy who's in red is named Corey. Corey, when uh, he was growing up, had an experience with the church that led him to not want to have really anything to do with the church. He would show up occasionally on Christmas and Easter, but, but that was maybe about it. His wife, Jennifer, and their two kiddos, they were in church every Sunday. She and her sister, Patty, and their kids, they would band together. They would be in church no matter what. But Corey, you almost never saw him. When Lazarus was getting started, we invited the family out to some, some home gatherings as we were talking about what, what God was doing, what we felt like God was calling us to do. And Corey was invited by his wife, Jennifer, to come. She said, I'd really love for you to come and check this out. And he did. And I was honestly a little bit shocked that he'd be willing to show up for something like that. So we encouraged him to share if he had thoughts about what things were going to look like for somebody who has not been a part of the church for a long time, to make sure we weren't using insider lingo and those sort of things. And at the end of this conversation, Corey just happened to share that he's a high school band director who had an emphasis in percussion. Wouldn't you know it? At Lazarus Church, we don't have Dawson with us, so we could really use a percussionist. For the last few years, Corey's had better attendance at Lazarus than his wife Jennifer has. <laughs> He's there basically every Sunday. You can see him there with the percussion over on the side, playing and blessing 
the church with his musical gifts that God has given to him, but it all started with an invitation from his wife to come and check out something new that was starting. Now notice, it wasn't necessarily an invitation to church. It was an invitation to something that was a little bit smaller. Somebody might not be ready to come for this just yet, and that's okay. What are those other accessible points of entry that we have going on? Those other things that we know about that we could invite somebody to walk with us as we're just walking with Jesus, as we're engaged in whatever that looks like for you, those spiritual habits, those rhythms of walking with Jesus, reading God's word, being a part of a group, gathering for worship. What might be the invitation that sparks for somebody? Let's go to the next slide. Over here, you've got uh, Alex and Lynette. And Alex and Lynette are really fun. They showed up to uh, a church service because they're... Uh, the guy they worked out with at CrossFit invited them. Actually, Ryan, who's one of the musicians over at Resurrection, invited them to connect at Resurrection. And then when they discovered that Lazarus was starting about a mile and a half from their house, they ended up coming over and hanging out with us. Alex and his family have gotten so connected to everything that's going on. Alex helps lead our live stream stuff. In fact, he's probably operating the cameras this morning. But just a few months ago, in the fall, we, we had the opportunity to baptize his daughter, Lizzie. Lizzie had never been baptized before, so we got the opportunity to be a part of her becoming a beloved child of God. All because a guy at CrossFit invited a guy at CrossFit to come check out something that was happening at his church. Let's do one more. I love this story. On the right, you've got Shelby and Patrick. Shelby and Patrick got connected at, at Lazarus's. Things were just kind of getting started. Uh, of, of all things, they saw a sign and they were like, oh, we need to, to actually start coming to church. It was a New Year's resolution, actually. So go, go figure. Sometimes those things actually work out. They got connected at Lazarus. And then uh, shortly afterwards, as things were, were kind of developing in their family, they, uh, and, and, and at their workplace, they had less time on Sundays to be able to show up on a Sunday morning. And so Shelby decided that what she wanted to do was actually continue to participate at Lazarus, even though she couldn't be there as much on Sunday morning, by starting a group. By starting a group that was kind of focused on ladies, where ladies would come over to her house, they would have games, they'd have charcuterie, they would just like visit for a while. And Shelby has this incredible gift where, where she can just kind of float around the room and engage everybody, make everybody feel welcome. You know somebody like that? She, she does this great job of, of hosting everybody. And at the end of the night, after they'd had all their time hanging out, all their time kind of visiting with each other, she'd, she'd have a brief devotion where she would basically tell the Bible story uh, off the top of her head and, and then connect it all together with a prayer that wove together not only the Bible story, but also all the things that had been talked about throughout the evening. And as Shelby started this group, her neighbor Jordan, who lives across the street, started coming and connecting. Jordan had grown up sort of in the church, but after a while, her parents quit going, and so she stopped. Jordan didn't even have a Bible in her house, so Shelby was the one who was able to give her a Bible. Shelby was also the one who, who was a part of this relationship developing. And when Jordan started to have questions about baptism, Shelby is the one that she asked to be her baptismal sponsor her sponsor, as well as the sponsor for her four-year-old daughter, Murphy. And we got to do actually a double baptism, a mother and daughter, all because of an invitation that Shelby extended. Not to show up to worship, but Jordan and her family weren't ready for that. They got there, but it, it, it took a while. They were invited to something that was accessible for them. An invitation can make a big impact.
Wouldn't you agree? I believe that there's an undeniable truth about you, that you are a beloved child of God. You are somebody who's been equipped by God with everything you need to proclaim the excellencies of God who has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We believe that there are people in your sphere of influence who are just one small step away from becoming disciples of Jesus. It's an impact that is life-changing, one that is even more impactful than the cell phones in your pocket that you have because of the opening of diplomatic relations between the U.S. and China in the 1970s. It's an impact that can make an eternal difference. And it all starts as God works through us to invite other people to walk with us as we walk with Jesus. Let me pray for that. God, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for inviting us to walk with you, to be a part of how you are working in the world around us, to draw people to know and love you. God, whatever you would have us do, we pray that you would make that clear that you would open our eyes to see the people around us who who, who are sort of like that harvest field that is ripe for harvest. And we pray that in their lives, you might even use us to be somebody who's an invitation maker, somebody who draws other people into a relationship with you. God, whatever that might look like, we're going to put that in your hands. We're not going to try to force that. We're not going to try to to make something happen with that, but we pray that you would use us and we want to make ourselves available to however you're going to do that. God, right now, we pray that you would bring to mind that person, that person that you have surrounded us with, who's disconnected from you, disconnected from a church family, disconnected from that deeper purpose that you have for all of us. And we pray for them, that you would be working in their lives and that you might even work through us. Help us as we walk with you. Bless us as invitations are extended. Thank you for the gifts that you have given to us, the forgiveness in life that we have through Jesus and that we have the opportunity to share. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.